As we stand in this room today, it's my privilege to read from you the word of the Lord, Psalm 145. Today I'm reading from the King James Version because it's so beautiful, Uh, so beautiful. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that are bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all that call upon him to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord Lord persevereth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you this Lord's day for a chance to worship you in this place. We thank you for a chance to greet one another. We thank you for a chance to welcome those that we have never met before. We thank you for a chance to sing and to pray and to give. We thank you for moments to sit in silence. And God, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it together, Lord, as a family of faith, we come to it with a sense of humility yet boldness. We're bold to ask you, Lord, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray, God, that you would make our hearts tender, that your word would be like a seed planted in rich and fertile soil. We pray, God, that you would give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will, that you would make our hands strong that our work in this world would be like your very own. And holy God, we pray that a word of life and hope, a gospel word would be found on our lips this week. Lord, this is our prayer in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. 
And we say together, amen and amen. Once again, 145 verse 2. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Adoration is a forever and ever activity. For those of us who know and love Jesus, we know we've been loved by him. And we believe, having read all the way to the end of the book, that we will spend our, our every days in the eternity adoring God, singing his praises, declaring his goodness, and enjoying the pleasure of his company. Adoration is a forever activity. And the psalmist said, because of that, verse 2, it's something that he would do every single day. Every day I will bless thee and praise thy name because this is what I'm going to do forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. How? As it is in heaven. Heaven is a place of glorious adoration around the throne of a victorious lamb. And the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is answered in measure when we lift our voices and we speak a word of adoration on this earth in the very grubby, mundane moments of our existence. Every day I will bless thee and I will praise thy name forever and ever. This morning, we might could turn this into a faith declaration. We may be able to say it like this on this Sunday morning. I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. Maybe if we just purposed in our heart to say, I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever, we would get something about this called adoration. Would you say it with me? I think you've got it. You're very bright people. I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. Once more with some feeling, I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. Today begins a new message series, a brief one and a very direct one creatively called prayer. Guess what? It's about prayer. And over the next few weeks leading up into Advent, we're going to talk about the rhythms of prayer using that little simple acrostic acts, A-C-T-S. And that first one stands for adoration. The rest are confession and thanksgiving and supplication. But today we start off with adoration. And of all the aspects of prayer that come up, the, the one, uh, adoration is the one that makes thoughtful people tap the brakes. And they'll say, Matt, 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 let's talk about adoration for a minute. Is God so suffering and low self-esteem that he needs us to, to praise him endlessly? Why are, I get confession. I get thanksgiving. I get supplication. But why ad, adoration? Why adoration? People have been asking that for a long time, and, and, and I think the answers are, are good. Stanley Grins, who is a very serious theologian, said that offering praise to God is beneficial to the prayer insofar as adoration is a safeguard against idolatry and false pride. At the same time, God delights in the praise of God's people, for such adoration symbolizes the human response of love to the gracious creator and redeemer. Adoration is both good for us 
and something that brings pleasure to the Lord because the Lord is God Almighty. You see, the difference between me craving your adoration and a politician craving your adoration and your friends craving your adoration and you yourself craving the adoration of those who are about you, the difference between all of us and our our lust for adoration and God is that God is God and none of those other people are. And God's desire for adoration is born in the purest, holiest heart that says, I made them. And in love, I've redeemed them. I am their their base and their foundation and their future and their hope. And I have set up life in such a way that life is lived most fully when life is lived in the rhythms of my love and grace in my heart. And when they find their pleasure in that and they adore me, it is a moment of great pleasure to God because he's God and we aren't. It's good for us, and God takes pleasure in it. This is why a preacher like Sinclair Ferguson could say something like this, my pleasure in worship is not the goal of my worship, but a byproduct of the pleasure of the God I worship. We are to delight ourselves in God and find in that the delight of our heart. I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. Let's say it again. I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever. Psalm 145 is about this. It's about adoration. It's a psalm of adoration. It's a psalm of praise. And in this psalm, we see reasons and a response. We see the why and the how. For just a few moments this morning, I want to look at three of the reasons and four of the responses that we have been called to adore the Lord. Let's, let's look at the reason, response, the why, and the how. The first one, we can say and we can make this faith confession that I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever because, verse 3, of his unsearchable greatness. If you look at Psalm 139, Verse 1, that psalm opens like this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God has searched us through and through. God knows us better than we know ourselves. This is not something we can do with God. God is unsearchable. He is God. Robert Davidson said, all authentic worship must contain this sense of the transcendence of God. Here is the divine king, great beyond all human understanding. One of the pinnacle moments of my, my years in New Orleans uh, were, the, were the moments where Janine Bozeman would bring Brennan Manning into our spiritual formation group. Brendan Manning spent a, a ministry up and down, up and down. He would, he would go to God and he would, he would say, let it be true, let it be true. He would come out and proclaim boldly, the good news is true. He would go back to God, oh God, please let it be true. He'd be victorious and defeated. He had a theology of a big God and a small human, a small human named Brennan. He would come to our spiritual formation groups and talk about ruthless 
trust. And he would say ruthless trust is born when there is a, a collision in your heart and in your life of a God that is grander and bigger than you can even imagine and one that draws near to the broken. He said when you understand that that is the heart of God, then you can have ruthless trust in a God like that. He lived in New Orleans in Bayou Labatry, Alabama, where the hurricanes blow through in season. And he once said in that group, trying to comprehend the massive love of God is like trying to hold a hurricane in a shrimp net. Let that image sink in your heart for a moment. It just simply can't be done. We can adore him because of his unsearchable greatness. Perhaps you've called to mind already the scene from uh, the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, where Susan is talking to Mr. Beaver about that great line, Aslan. She wants to know if this Lion King is a safe one, to which Mr. Beaver snarks, safe? Who said anything about safe? Hmm. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, the faith declaration, I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore the Lord forever is born out of a deep sense of the grandeur of God. He is no bug collection that we can study and chart, bug collections are collections of dead things. And God is living and wonderful and greatly to be praised. We can adore him because of his unsearchable greatness. We can also say with, with great confidence that we will adore the Lord every day because we will adore him forever because of his great works. If you look at verses 4 and 5 and 12 and 13, you begin to realize that this God who is beyond our, our searching is one who's loved us enough to make himself known in both deed and word. One of his most gracious acts is his acts of revelation in life. Uh, one generation shall praise your works to another, shall declare your mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of your majesty and your wondrous works to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom thy dominion endureth throughout all generations we can speak confidently of God not because we have searched him and figured him out but because he has made himself known in this earth in word and indeed, history is the arena of God's activity. And our adoration is a rehearsal of his redeeming deeds. We've done a bit of that this morning as we've sung the songs of faith. And we do it as we teach the Bible. We do it as we read it. We do it as we remember that God is the benevolent creator. We do it when we remember that God made a covenant with a broken and a sinful people. He called the people out. He made a people 
to be a light to the whole wide world, a light of his redeeming mercy and restoring grace. We do it when we sing out and speak out the gospel that Christ came for us when we could not get to God. We do it when we're reminded that the just judge was judged in our place. The righteous suffered for the unrighteous to bring us back home. We do it when we recall, and we've done it this morning, that the Spirit of God fills the church of Christ to be his servants in this earth. That we have a work to do because God is at work in this world, redeeming men, women, boys, and girls, people, and places. We do it when we remind one another of the great promise of the blessed hope that one day, a day, will become the day and all will be well. All manner of things shall be well. We do it when we gospel the story to one another. And so, friends, let's say it together. I will adore the Lord every day because I'll adore him forever. And we do it because of his great works. A third reason. We do it because he is good. He's good. 7, 9, 16 to 18, it says it very explicitly. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. That's the great question about great ones is are they good? And God is good. Some of the deepest theology we pass along to those who are coming behind us in the faith starts like this around the chicken nuggets. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him. Our God is good. Look what it says. He opens his hand to feed the living things. The great God of creation depicted as one with an open-handed posture in front of the critters of the earth. I remember a camping trip years ago. A raccoon came up to the edge of the fish camp little raccoon, those big eyes. And, and my friend Jake had a big tube of, of cheese balls. You know cheese balls? And, and we said, Jake, I bet you can't get that raccoon to eat those cheese balls. He said, watch this. He said, well, everybody's got to get real, real still. And we just sort of hunkered down and watched, watched Jake kind of hunker down. And all he did, he, he put a cheese ball right there in his hand. And he just, he just, just hold it out. He didn't spook the raccoon. He didn't chase him down. He didn't club him. He didn't force feed him a cheese ball. He just sort of sat in front of him in an almost submissive posture. And he offered him up a cheese ball. Now, God didn't make raccoons to eat cheese balls. But that raccoon took one. And the first thing he did was, was he ground it into powder trying to clean that cheese ball. And then he looked at his little raccoon hands full of cheese ball dust. And he looked at us and he did what you would do in the same situation. He went <laughs> right there, open-handed in front of the critters. You know, if you're around little kids and animals, you know what they always want to do? They always want to feed. 
the animals. We have a fish tank right outside of my office. The little kids who come through, they all know about the fish, and they all ask the same thing, can I feed the fish? And so we'll prop them up on the chairs and give them the food, and then they'll just drop it in. They all want to feed. They all want to feed the fish. Meredith has a classroom fish, or she did, rest is her soul. Uh, Scarlet was the name of the fish, and we we had the fish tank set up, and first week, you know, all the kids, can I feed Scarlet, can I feed Scarlet? By week three, the fish, poor thing, had type 2 diabetes, and and, and now Scarlet has become a cautionary tale, Uh, because first graders just want to feed animals. Why? Why is it in every little kid's life? Why, when you go to the zoo, do they have dispensers? You can put your coins in and turn and get feed. Why do they have that? Why do little kids want to feed the goats? Why? Because every little kid you've ever met has been created in the image of God. Every single last one of them. And he's a good one. He's a good one. And before a sinful broken earth, this is how he comes. He comes with open, scarred hands filled with life and food and a banquet. He's a good one. I will adore the Lord every day because I'll adore him forever. For he is good. That's the reason. Now, what about the response? I told you at the beginning of this before, and I know you're like, okay, I got a rose, Matt, come on. No, we don't have to belabor these. They move quickly. And they're the final verses of this, this great psalm, 18, 19, 20, and 21. What does it look like to adore God? What does it look like if we want to do that every single day of our life? Well, it's more than just singing, it's more than just speaking. That's a major and beautiful part of it, but there's a lot to it, and And it's right there at the end. Verse 18, we see this. If we want to adore the Lord, we can call on him. Verse 18 said that the Lord is close to those that call upon him. Listen, we're Texans around here. I've been here long enough now. I claim it. Some of y'all are like, no, I don't think so. He's still too Mississippi for me. Fine. You want to fight? How Texas is that, right? I mean, and man, we don't want anybody doing anything for us. We, we don't want to be holding to a soul. It gets us a long way and we accomplish many things, but it doesn't do much before the Lord. So the Lord is close to those that call on him. Look, if you deep down in your heart think God's lucky to have you, Let me free you of that. It's richer and more beautiful. God loves you. And he knows that you're dust. Jonah. Jonah was head wrapped in seaweed in the sea. Slipped into the underworld. And from the underworld he cried to the Lord. The the great psalm reads. Where can I go? Where can I run from your spirit, Psalm 139? Verse 8, if I ascend up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there too. 
If I take the wings of the morning, their right hand is right there. God, the great one, he'll dwell in hell with you to bring you up alive. Maybe in the belly of a fish. Maybe before you get back to preaching, it goes... But he's close to those who call on him. So if you find yourself in the belly of the sea or in a deeper problem still, you adore the Lord by calling on him. We adore the Lord by fearing him, verse 19. He will fulfill the desires of them that fear him. God, he's good, but he's no peer. Because God is God. And we adore him when we walk before him with awe and respect. Have you ever been around a person that had real significance in a certain area of life and with that significance, a massive amount of charisma? You ever been around a person like that? So you say, of course I am. Every morning when I wake up, I look at him in the mirror. Generally speaking, when you're around a a, a great and influential man or woman and you meet them for the first time and you're at the table with them, you find yourself after 15, 20 minutes thinking, man, I wonder what this guy thinks about me. I sure want her to like me. I hope I say the right thing because this is fill in the blank. If we feel like that around people of influence and substance in this earth, Why on earth wouldn't we walk with a sense of great reverence and awe for the God that is unsearchable in his greatness? We'd have a whole lot less foolishness in this world if we would just walk before the Lord in awesome respect and fear. And with that, not opposed to it, not contrasted to it, but with it and within it, verse 20, if we love him. If, if we love him, look at verse 20. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. You know, you were made to love. Philosopher Jamie Smith said it like this. Human beings are fundamentally lovers. That is, we're not primarily thinking things or believing animals, but rather desiring agents with a passional orientation to an ultimate vision, an ultimate vision of life as it should be, a kingdom. This is the structural feature of being human. We can't not be lovers. We can't not be desiring some kingdom, some way of life. The question is not whether we love, but what we love or who we love. We all love something and that desire motivates our life We all do, ultimately, what we want to do. The great question is, what's our want or want to do? And adoration brings us into a position where our wanter is transformed and our gaze is fixed and we love. And friends, we can do that because we have been and are being so richly loved by the Lord. Judson Cornwall said, worship is a response. The simplest definition of worship is love, responding to love. Until there is an awareness of God's love flowing into our lives, there is nothing to respond to. 
Worship then requires an acquaintance with the object of our affection. Psalm 145 and other portions of Scripture are acquainting us with the object of our affection. They're reminding us of his unsearchable greatness. They're reminding us of his goodness. They're reminding us of his nearness. They're reminding us that God is great and God is good. And because he is, we can declare together, I will, I will adore him every day because I'll adore him forever. Friends, we, when we come together in this room, this is sort of a litmus test for the rest of our life. When we come to this room, we have to realize we are not passive receivers of some good or service. We are actors. And we are acting for two audiences, all due respect to Kierkegaard. We're actors in the presence of God. We're worshiping the Lord. We're coming before him. And we're acting for all of those around us who just might be paying attention. Our adoration has a powerful pedagogical effect. In fact, this psalm was an acrostic psalm. Olive, bait, gimel, dalit, down the line. ABCs. Written so that one generation could declare the deeds of God to another generation. So when we speak and sing our praise, that's the fourth response. When we speak and sing our praise, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in the love of the Lord, calling out to him, we are bringing pleasure to the Lord, and that pleasure is spilling into our lives. And we are declaring to the generations that are coming behind us and those who have yet to bow their knee in the presence of a good Savior. We are declaring in our adoration the reason for the hope in our heart. We are making him known in the words of our song, the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. You know, if you think of a sacrifice, it was unto God, but the people ate the meat. And when you adore the Lord, you bless the Lord, and you feed those around you. And this is, this is the call of God for our lives. So the question for us as we prepare to sing, and would you stand now and prepare your hearts to sing to the Lord? The question before us as we look again at this faith declaration, I will adore the Lord every day because I will adore him forever, is will you? Do you know him? Have you personally trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Is he your eternal and ultimate hope? Is he the ground of your faith? Is he the focus of your life? Will you? And if you will, if you will spend your eternity gathered around the throne of the Lamb singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, if that is your good future, the question for you today is, will you adore him today? And Monday, 
Now, today's kind of easy. You're all amped up for today. But what about before the coffee gets brewed tomorrow morning? Will you just purpose in your heart on that Monday morning that hits like an iceberg? I will adore the Lord, for I will adore the Lord forever. Respond in any way the Lord would have you today for your good and for his glory. Andy?